Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. Good evening and welcome to the Joe Beam Show. I'm in the business of helping people put marriages back together when those marriages have hit major crises. Now, we work with marriages that are not in trouble. We have a different way of working with them. But mostly what I do in my personal work with our organization is to work with marriage, marriages who are in crisis. Yet, when these people do start putting their marriages back together, which is what we love to see, what we love to hear, then we also know that a new set of problems arise when a couple tries to put their marriage back together. And I want to talk about those for a little while tonight before we start taking phone calls. You see, a couple making a decision. We want to be married to each other. We're going to fix our problems. We're going to make this work. It's a great and wonderful decision. Several years ago, Dr. Jim Grayson did a research study on couples who had been through our workshop, for example, in the previous seven years to that study. And he found that uh, 77% of those couples were still married, which made us feel very good, knowing that three out of four couples had come to our workshop over that seven-year period were still together. More recently, I did my own research, and this was not about whether or not they stayed married over a long period of time. My research was to see if anything had changed when it, come to, when it came to marital satisfaction and sexual satisfaction. As you would expect, most of the couples coming into our workshop rated extremely low. As a matter of fact, they uh, clinically, de- uh, uh, clinically distressed, that's the word I'm looking for, clinically distressed marriages for most of them. And then we found that over 60%, well, over 60% of those 90 days later, just 90 days later, had already changed their relationship to the point that they'd gone from having uh, a clinically distressed marriage based on profiles developed by other people, not by me, but profiles that we gave, profiles that have been validated over, validated over a long period of time. Therefore, we knew they were really measuring things. Well, over 60% of those couples were now not only not clinically distressed, they were not distressed at all. As a matter of fact, their marriages had moved up into the non-distressed area. Well, understand how researchers think. That would mean that those marriages don't have problems. And so it was exciting to know that, oh, you know, right, all, almost two out of three couples had gone to that state in a 90-day period after the workshop. Made me very happy. And at the same time, I know from my own experience and the experience of many other people that we've worked with, that putting a marriage back together can change things in a hurry in terms of your marital satisfaction and your sexual satisfaction, but you can hit some obstacles. If I may, let me illustrate with Alice and me. I divorced Alice in 1984. So we didn't try to reconcile a marriage right off the bat. I mean, we actually went through the divorce process and we were divorced for three years. We remarried each other in 1987 and the decision had been made by me and by Alice that we wanted to put this marriage back together again And it wasn't just a ceremonial thing where we got together and had some kind of a ceremony for people to say, oh, look, they're symbolically putting their marriage back together. We legally had to go through the process of putting our marriage back together. And as we remarried each other, we were very happy with our decision, decided we had done the right thing. And then we had all kinds of marriage problems that continued to exist because we had not fixed any of the problems that had led us apart to begin. Or back when I had divorced her back in 1984. 
Now, our immediate problem had been solved in the sense that when I abandoned Alice, when I divorced her back in 1984, I had gone into a limerent relationship with another woman. For those who are not regular regular listeners of this program, limerence is a state, a feeling that you are, quote, madly in love, end quote, with another person. This is not a program about limerence, therefore I'm not going to explain a whole lot about that, but I left Alice basically so I could be with another woman, and that was my intention. I was going to wind up being married to her and live happily ever after. As with nearly all limerent relationships that destroy one marriage, thinking they're going to put together a different relationship, that one fell apart. So I was gone for three years. Now, the problem of me having an affair, of my committing adultery, that problem had been solved when Alice and I remarried each other. So there was no longer any problem of Joe's off with some woman or Joe's searching for trying to develop a relationship with some woman. As a matter of fact, that hadn't happened to begin with. Back when that limit relationship began, it wasn't because I found myself looking for someone. It wound up being a different situation altogether that led into that. I was not trying to end my marriage. I was not trying to develop a relationship with somebody else. So here now, Alice and I now get back together, and we start struggling because of the fact that we are not communicating very well with each other. One of the problems we'd had in our first marriage to each other was that I treated Alice disrespectfully. She told me that many times, yet I tended not to believe her. I thought that she was just being paranoid, or I justified it by saying to myself, well, your motives are good, you're just trying to help her, or actually thinking that she needed my help. And so we had those kinds of problems when we came back together where it wasn't very long before I started being dominating and controlling toward her again. She had tolerated that in our first marriage, but she was not about to tolerate it in our second. And when we tried to communicate with each other, understand each other, etc., there were a lot of things that had gone wrong. And so in that situation, we almost divorced again. Why? Because we really hadn't fixed anything. Now, if you're going to reconcile What you really want to do is to understand the underlying problems that led to your marriage getting into the trouble that it got into, if you can. You say, okay, what what am I talking about? Okay. You can't always know exactly why people do things. As a matter of fact, I don't always know exactly why I do something, and maybe you're the same way, that, that sometimes you just look at yourself in the mirror and go, why in the world did you do that? Or what are you thinking? What's going on inside of your head and so forth and so on? Well, in that situation, you may not know what's going on underneath. And so I'm not saying that you cannot put back together a marriage unless you absolutely know about all those underlying problems. I'm not saying that's an absolute, but I'm saying if you can figure out those kinds of things, then you can really do a much better job at knowing how to reconcile the marriage because you can deal with those issues that are still under the surface if you can figure out what they are and do something about fixing those so that they don't rear their head up again in another time in another way. All right, let me explain again with Alice and me. I can illustrate this with many, many other couples, but I'll just go ahead and follow the theme I'm following here and talk about Alice and me. What had been the factors that had been involved in my getting involved with this other person? Because I certainly wasn't seeking an affair. I wasn't trying to end my marriage. I wasn't looking for somebody else out there somewhere, somehow. That's not what happened. Think about it this way. Most of us have some kind of a vulnerability or susceptibility to something. And quite often that vulnerability or susceptibility will come out of our childhood. Now, not always, but it can. One of the things that came out of my childhood, 
you're probably going to laugh at me when I tell you this, but it was real and continues to be real for me, is that when I was a child, I was con- continually and constantly made fun of by even my closest friends, even my brothers, for being ugly. And so I was told, I don't know how many different times, how ugly I was. My nose was pretty large. I had terrible problems with acne. I was a skinny kid back then with this huge nose, acne, so forth and so on. And so I endured a great deal of ridicule from other people to the point that I rarely, if ever, dated, hardly dated, I should say, when I was in high school. I didn't do that. Now, I wind up then going to college. That's where I met Alice. We fell in love. Obviously, we dated. We fell in love. I married her. And I didn't realize within me the great susceptibility that I have for wanting attention from women and acceptance from women, which makes me feel, if you will, handsome, at least in some fashion, that I'm attractive. Maybe I'm not physically handsome, but at least I can be attractive. Now, I knew a little bit about that, about me, in the sense that if if women paid attention to me through the years and made me feel good about myself, I found myself wanting to be around them more, but I never thought of that as being a major, major problem because I figured I was a good guy and I was never going to do anything wrong. And I wasn't going to go anything, you know, pressed to some minor, minor flirting because I knew that I didn't want to be involved in those things. So when a young woman came to my office for a little counsel and she started telling me about her uh, angst, her problems, her difficulties in life, I foolishly began to tell her about some of my own problems and anger and uh, angst in life and so forth and so on. For those who are regular listeners to our program or who have read my book, The Art of Falling in Love, or have been involved in some of our other courses, you know we talk about the wall. What I mean by that is I began to reveal things about myself to her tentatively just to see if if she would accept me. Now, was I consciously planning that out and thinking that's what I'm going to do next? The answer was no. It was happening because of the fact that I found myself being accepted and approved by, affirmed by, I guess I should say, a woman that was attractive and intelligent and all those kinds of things. And I still didn't think we were going to wind up in any kind of a problem or difficulty because I had not had that on my mind or my heart, and I don't think she did either. But in the course of our visiting over time, we began to connect to each other emotionally because I was letting down my wall and she was letting down her wall, which, by the way, if I had had any training at counseling at that point, (laughs) I would have never done. But I didn't have any training. and didn't know any better, and, and so I wound up evolving gradually into an emotional relationship with her. And that led to my eventually divorcing Alice and seeking that woman. And as I said already earlier in the program, that fell apart. And when Alice and I got back together, I still hadn't put it all together as to why I had had that vulnerability and how I got into that problem. As we got back together, I was doing the things that would rebuild trust with Alice in the sense that I was making myself extremely accountable to her so she would know everywhere I went, everything I did, every person I was with, every penny that I spent. And when I was doing good things on the surface, at least saying, look, you can trust me. And yet, at least for the two of us, it was a difficulty in the sense that while Alice didn't really understand why I was so susceptible to that. And at that point, I hadn't processed it either. Therefore, I didn't really understand it either. She existed, and I guess to some degree I did too, although I convinced myself I would never do it again. 
Alice was worried about what if he gets attracted to some other woman and winds up in the same kind of situation again. And so for us, what I had to do was to finally figure out why I had been susceptible to what I did. The affair was over, but Alice was having great difficulty trusting me because we had not really identified and talked out the things that had been the precursors to my winding up in that situation. And so for us, when over time we began to talk about these things, we were able to develop the kind of trust that she needed in me because of the fact that it was like, oh, now that I understand what that vulnerability is, oh, and you do too, Joe, now that you understand more about that vulnerability, well, now we can make sure that that doesn't get acted upon. And so I've been made arrangements and agreements with Alice that I wouldn't have lunch with any woman that she was not comfortable with me having lunch with, even though in my business world I was in at the time, and sometimes that proved to be inconvenient. And so I often tell people now, if you can figure out what led the susceptibility, what, what, what the susceptibility was, I should say, that led to the thing that caused your marriage problem. Now, that typically then would be a thing like an extramarital affair or like an addiction, those kinds of things. If you can figure out where that came from, what, why that vulnerability exists in you and exactly what that vulnerability is, then the two of you together talking that out can have a great, uh, a greater chance of really making the reconciliation work because you could find security with each other. Now, what does it take to do that? One is that you have to be willing to explore yourself and to admit there may be some things about you that even you don't know because of the fact you've never stopped to think about them. How do you discover those things then? Okay, you talk. And so if you're willing to be vulnerable to the other person now and willing to have these open, transparent conversations, here's how you begin to discover what those things might be. Now, I'm just going to give you Beam's method. Somebody else's method might be even better for you, but I'm going to tell you the one that works for me and the one I've taught many other people, and it seems to work for them as well, and that's this. We told stories. Stories about our childhood, because I figured that's where the stuff had started. Now, it didn't have to be necessarily that the story would be from childhood. The story could be from any part of our life. But mostly, we wanted to talk about stories of things that happened before we had ever met each other. And even if we couldn't understand why the importance of which stories were important, we just started talking about things like Alice told me stories about her childhood. And I remember, for example, and I'm not going to tell this story about how her, her dad bought a pony and a cart and those kinds of things and how much fun she had riding that cart and so forth and so on. We just told stories to each other. And as we would go through the stories of our childhood, occasionally we'd hit one that would evoke an emotion. And so Alice would tell me an emotional story about her childhood, or I would tell her an emotional story about my childhood. And we tried to visualize those as we talked to each other. So if I told her a story from my childhood, I let myself see it and therefore let myself live it to some degree. And as I felt those emotions, sometimes that created an aha experience for me, like, wow, that's why I feel this way about certain things now. Or, wow, that's why I act the way I act when this particular kind of situation happens. For example, my dad, my dad is a really good guy, but he struggled with some drinking when he was younger. And, and sometimes he would say things to me like, you're stupid. My cue 
is 153. Well, <laughs> it may not be anymore. Back in the day, my IQ was 153. I'm older now. My brain's kind of worn out. It might be 15 for all I know now. And you can imagine how, as a very bright young man, when your dad that you love dearly, and of course he had his own struggles, would say something like, you're stupid, it would just tear me apart. And yet, when I was telling Alice one of those stories about my dad and how he called me stupid on one occasion and let myself relive it again, all of a sudden, I realized I do that. I either directly call people stupid when I get angry, or I make it such a clear implication that even if I don't use that word, I made it very plain. That's what I meant. And I sit there telling that story, looking at Alice, and she's looking at me, and all of a sudden, I'm realizing the effect I'm having on her. And we both have an aha, like, okay, that is why you sometimes do that. Now, that didn't mean that from that point on, it was okay for me to call her stupid. Not at all. It meant from that point on, I could actually stop myself from doing that. Because as that rage would hit me over something, and I start to say those mean words, I'd think, oh my goodness, I know where this is coming from. I know what this is about. Therefore, I can back off and not do it. And on the occasions when I didn't get control, Alice was able to look at me and say, you know how much that hurts. Don't you remember? And so by sharing story after story after story, and you say, wow, I mean, how much time would this take? Well, we suggest if you don't regularly talk to each other now about non-business matters. What I mean by that is, you know, you're not talking about how to pay this bill or how to discipline that child. If those are business matters, we say, if you're not having much time talking to each other about non-business matters, then you may want to start off with something as simple as setting aside 15 minutes once a week for him to tell a story, followed by 15 minutes of her telling a story. And if you say, well, what if that story doesn't create a great aha, that's okay. The more you open yourself up and go back through these stories, and if you can think, wow, this is something about me that I don't really like, I feel the way I do, or something about me I don't like the way that I do the way I do. Let me go back and think of stories that tie back to that. And as you share those, even if it's not a great revelation at any particular session, by the way, you'll wind up talking more than that half hour a week, 15 minutes apiece. You'll wind up doing it more than once a week, and it'll be a lot longer and those kinds of things. And it becomes very comfortable. And even the guys... Even the guys that typically are not very talkative will actually wind up talking if they know they can tell their stories and that they're really, honestly, genuinely being listened to. So if you're going to reconcile, my suggestion is you start the communication process this way. Rather than talking about the problems you had, and if you need to, go ahead. I'm not saying avoid them, but I'm saying another way to do that is that you start off by talking to each other about your lives. And as you share those stories over time and more and more and more with each other, it not only will help you get ahas about why do I have certain susceptibilities? Why do I act the way I do in certain ways, which helps each of you to change behavior and to better understand each other and to put orders in place for yourself so that you don't do things that are destructive to your relationship. And in that process of doing that, you learn a lot about you, a lot about each other, but you also learning how to communicate at a different level than you had before, because now you're not fighting. You're not arguing. You're not trying to correct the other person. You're not chastising the other person. You're just simply trying to listen and to understand. Therefore you would never do something like, well, what you should have done is this, or, you know, that still has an emotional effect on you 25 years later, grow up. You don't have those words coming out of your mouth. 
You just simply try to understand the other person, to listen to him or her. And as you share that way, learning about each other, you really can facilitate, facilitate the, rec- the reconciliation process so that it becomes smoother, easier. Now you're saying, okay, if, if I just do that, or if we just do that, does that make it where we can reconcile and it solves all our problems? No, no, it doesn't. But in my estimation, it's a great way to start. In addition to that, whenever some of the issues come up again, you know, you're trying to reconcile. And so, well, like we're Alice and me in our second marriage, when I would start being controlling and dominating again, Alice had also changed her behavior in the sense that in the first marriage, she tolerated it. But in our current marriage, the second marriage, she would say, I can't handle what you're doing. Please don't do that. Now, she had a right to talk about that. She had a right to tell me that hurts. I don't want you to do that. But understand this. If you're going to reconcile, even if you're having to tell the other person what you're doing hurts me right now, you do it without being harsh toward each other. You see, you can give a complaint. A complaint is, I don't like this. But what you want to make sure of is that you don't turn it into a criticism. A criticism is when you take it a step further and imply that the other person has some kind of a character flaw. So rather than saying, wow, when you say something like that to me, it hurts, which is an honest and uh, valid complaint that should be heard, you say to the other person, you just don't care about me, do you? I mean, you think you're greater than I am. Look how you're just a narcissist. You see the difference in the two? If you give the complaint, that's valid, and the other person can deal with the complaint. As soon as you turn it into a criticism by implying to the other person, or sometimes even stating it directly, what's wrong with you, you're going to shut down all honest and open communication. So if you're going to reconcile, you've got to deal with the harshness. You've got to turn that into a soft way to interact with each other, because you cannot reconcile until harshness and hardness are brought under control. Now, for many people, this is the most challenging aspect of reconciliation, but it's the most important. Now, it's tough to do because partners often harden their defenses to minimize additional injury. For example, in in the case with Alice and me, it could have well gone like this, that Alice would focus on, do you know what you did? You cheated on me, you terrible person, to which I might have focused on, well, but do you remember how you treated me that made me so vulnerable to that? And so if you're focused on your own side, you will not be soft. You're going to keep thinking about it being the other person's fault. Now, it's not Alice's fault that I committed adultery. Yet she did something really interesting that really helped us when we finally learned how to truly reconcile, not just remarry each other, but reconcile. And that's when Alice began to take responsibility for her actions as well. No, she didn't do anything that caused me to cheat on her. It was not her fault that I did that. At the same time, though, Alice looked at her life and she looked at some of the ways that she treated me, how at that particular point in our life, we were going through some crises and I, uh, that had nothing to do with the adultery, where I really needed some strong emotional support. And rather than being that, she basically backed off and left me alone. And I didn't have that emotional support. Now, this is not beating Alice up. I'm telling you that Alice would tell you that herself if she were on that other microphone over there. And she'd be saying, yes, I did that. And so each person, if you're going to be softening the way you interact with each other to make reconciliation possible, then you've got to quit being harsh with each other. And one of the ways to become soft in the way you interact with each other is that each person accepts responsibility for his or her actions so that Alice has actually said to me, forgive me, Joe, for the things I did 
where I was not with you. I was not being on your side. I was not your emotional support that you needed. Just like I've said to her, please forgive me for the fact that I allowed myself to get involved with another person. I know that hurt you terribly. Therefore, rather than beating each other up or being harsh with each other, we actually have been very soft with each other about all that. And, and in that, then you do things like you tell the other person that you're genuinely sorry for the hurt you caused. I said that to Alice and she said it to me. And then you, as you repent, meaning I'm not going to do that again, you, you make a genuine statement of your intention not to hurt the other person again. Like Alice, I know I hurt you, Bo. And then I got very specific about what I did. I'm truly sorry. I hope to never hurt you again like that. And she did the same with me. So the first thing I've said is, if you're going to try to understand each other, you start by telling stories and you're not going to get great ahas out of every story. And it may even take a few weeks before the first aha occurs. But if you tell those stories of your backgrounds, your, your childhood, your events pre-meeting each other, not only will you learn about yourself over time, but your spouse will as well, at the same time, developing a different communication process of truly listening, truly understanding, and not arguing with each other. Now, the second step I've talked about then is that what you're going to do is soften the way you interact with each other. Quit being harsh with each other. Even if you're hurt, don't be harsh. I saw a couple, no, this is many years ago, and they were trying to reconcile, or at least he was, he had been unfaithful to her, and she actually said these words to me. The reason I'm still with him is not because of the fact that I'm trying to make our marriage good again. The reason I'm with him is so that every day for the rest of his life, I can remind him of what of an SOB he is. I'm here to punish him. You can't do reconciliation if you want to punish the other person. You say, but I was hurt. I understand. But you cannot do reconciliation if you're going to try to hurt the other person. And so, therefore, uh, I'll just call this step three based on what we've said so far. Share with you something called the REACH method. I didn't come up with the REACH method. As a matter of fact, I'll pull up here in a second uh, who it was that actually came up with that. Uh, hmm. Well, I don't see where it is right now. But I'll tell you later, it's not mine. I didn't come up with the REACH method, but somebody else did. And here's what he called it, REACH, R-E-A-C-H. Okay, the R stands for recall the hurt. What that means is you don't pretend that the hurt didn't happen. You can actually talk about it with each other. Now, let me give you a couple of things here. If you start talking about the thing you did, for example, if Alice and I had started talking about my adultery, my affair, and I'm trying to be open and honest with her, one thing that would never have worked and never allowed us as we were trying to reconcile to do that is if in recalling the hurt, I had in any way made it sound like I was trying to justify what I had done. Well, yes, Alice, I know it was bad, but, you know, I was having other things go on. And, you know, sometimes people just get in a situation where and any of those things or, you know, if you'd have been better at any of those things won't work. So if you're going to talk about the hurt, if you're called a hurt, that's the R in the REACH method, don't do it in a way that makes it sound like that you're justifying your action. Now, you can give an honest explanation, but you take responsibility for your own action, and you don't any blame to anyone other than you. And you answer each other's questions. Now, I did, Alice, I did answer Alice's questions, but here's what I said to her. I'll tell you anything you want to know as long as you're sure that you want to know it. Because once I tell you, 
I can't untell you. And so I also ask questions. Sometimes I would just answer. Sometimes I would say, do you really want to know the answer to that? And if she said yes, I'd tell her. Often she'd think about it and she'd say, you know, I really don't. People sometimes to this day ask me, does Alice know everything? And my response is, no, no, she doesn't. But she knows everything she wants to know. And that she has access to the rest of it if ever she wants to know it. Now, a quick thing here that we often tell people, so let me just make a quick point of it, and that's this. Try not to ask or answer questions that create a visual. And so if Alice had said, did you kiss her? And I'm just picking one verb. You understand a lot of other verbs could have gone there rather than kiss. Did you kiss her? If I answer that question, it creates a visual analysis head. Two problems with that. One is it's not really what happened. It's Alice's imagination of what happened. And the second is, long after I'm healed and past that, Alice will still have that picture. Now, by the grace of God, Alice didn't ask any questions that asked for an answer that created a picture in her head. We know now that we suggest that people don't do that. And if you get asked a question that's going to create a visual, you say to the person, I'm not trying to lie to you or deceive you but I'm afraid that that's going to cause us more harm than good. All of that is under recall. That's in the reach method. Okay. Here's the E in the reach method. Empathize. So you give your own explanation of what you feel. For example, I've explained to Alice how I felt when I got involved with that woman. I didn't explain it to her then. I'm talking about after we got back together and Alice, rather than trying to beat me up for what I felt, actually tried to understand it. Try to understand, hey, here's how you felt. And then she would explain to me, here's how I felt when you did that. And rather than arguing with her or saying she couldn't have felt that way or anything else like that, I actually wanted to empathize with what she felt as well. And so empathize means I'm not going to justify what you did, but I'm going to try to understand what you feel. And I'm going to provide empathy for that hurt. So I have empathy for the hurt that Alice felt based on what I did. But she also has empathy for the pain I felt at the time that was part of what set me up. Understand, I did not try to justify it. And a part of that empathizing thing, though, you know, it really makes sense that you make a well-organized plan to stop or end any bad things that were going on, whether it's gambling, addiction, control, manipulation, lying, whatever other issue was there. You make a really good plan for that as well, where that that's going to stop. And then you create accountability. So, for example, if you have problems with pornography and that's really tearing up your marriage, you create a situation where it's almost impossible for you to see it without your spouse knowing about it. So you get the kind of software that stroke, uh, records all the keystrokes and your spouse gets it. You, you make sure that your spouse can see everything that happens on your computer, whatever you need to do. And that's all under empathizing. What that means is I'm trying to understand your emotions, but I'm also trying at the same time to do something that's not going to hurt those emotions even further. That's why we're going to have the accountability plan. And that becomes a crucial part of the reconciliation process. Okay. R recall the hurt. E empathize with each other. A the altruistic gift of forgiveness. What you do is you think about the fact, you know, I've needed forgiveness. There are times in my life when I just needed to be forgiven and not because I had made everything good or perfect or right, because sometimes you just can't do that. There's some things you just cannot undo. But I'm asking you, would you give me forgiveness even though I don't deserve it? And the A says, if you're really going to reconcile, you give forgiveness even if the other person doesn't deserve it. But they're asking for it. 
you may recall there was a time when Jesus talked about forgiving people and, and Peter wanted to know how many times did you have to do that? <laughs> Jesus was telling a story. If, if a man sins against you and says, I repent, you forgive him. And Peter said, all right, how many times am I going to do that? Cause you can imagine Peter thinking I did that to Charlie the other day. There's a good Jewish name for you from the new Testament. I did that with Charlie the other day and he turned right around and heard me again the next day. And then the next day he did it again. I mean, how many times I got to forgive this guy? And Jesus said, well, 70 times seven. Now that doesn't mean you keep count until you hit 490 and you say, that's it. He's giving a principle here, which is you keep forgiving the other person as long as he or she asks for it. You say, but they don't deserve it. Amen. They do not. That's what's called an altruistic gift of forgiveness. It sets you free and it can turn everything into a different situation. So here's the C. The first R, recall the hurt. E, empathize. A, altruistic gifts of forgiveness. Here's the C, commit to forgive. And I really think it's a good idea that you formally ask for forgiveness and that you demonstrate humility in asking. You don't demand forgiveness. Oh my goodness, don't do that. But with humility, you say, I am so sorry I hurt you in the way that I did. Would you please forgive me? And then maybe make a ceremony out of it. I mean, you can each have a process. I know of couples that have actually gone outside to the flower bed and driven a stake in the ground, and they said, that's it. That's when things change. Other people have renewed their wedding vows and say, okay, that's our way of saying we're going to do this. We're going to commit to forgive each other. With Alice... You can imagine how hurt her family was at me. I mean, not only had I had the affair, but I divorced Alice and left her. Now, I did see her every other weekend because I saw my children every other weekend. But you understand, I was gone. Alice had already moved on and finally started dating. I mean, three years into our situation, I divorced her. I mean, I divorced her and we were three years past that into the situation. And when I asked her to take me back, asked her to forgive me, she did. She asked me to forgive her. I did. And then we're going to marry each other. Her family was just not happy about that. Not because they're bad people. They're great people. I mean, they're awesome people. But I'd hurt her. And they didn't want her getting involved with me again because they figured I'd hurt her again. And so here's one thing she did in committing to forgive me. She called all her family together and basically gave them a message. This is what's going to happen. I'm marrying Joe. I need your support and your understanding. If you do that, things will go well. If you don't want anything to do with Joe, that's fine. I'm still going to be married to him. He's going to be my husband. I've committed to him. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to have anything else to do with you or my family. I will. But when it's a holiday thing and the family's all getting together, I'm going where my husband goes. I'm going to be where he is welcome. And so one thing she did to make the reconciliation work is that she committed to forgive and made sure that the family understood that. By the way, there's a little thing goes on here, too, about forgiving yourself. Sometimes what you really need to do, what you really need to do is have a ceremony where that you can be forgiven. By the way, if you have any trouble with that, uh, forgive the commercial, but go on to Amazon.com and you can find a book called Getting Past Guilt. That's Getting Past Guilt by me, by Joe Beam. And you'll see what I did, what I did in my understanding. And it's a Bible study, so it's not just Beam's opinion. It's a Bible study about how did I learn to be forgiven and to forgive? And then the H is hold on to forgiveness because you see it's inevitable that sometimes we'll remember the hurt and the pain and the offenses of the other person. And sometimes you just get mad. <laughs> Time has passed. And all of a sudden you just get mad all over again because you think, how dare he do that to me? I can't believe she did that to me. But remember this, understand this, remembering a hurt 
in other words, recalling a painful memory, does not mean that forgiveness hasn't taken place. Bitterness and hatred are signs that forgiveness hasn't taken place, but you hold on to forgiveness. Okay, what do you do after all that? Well, stop all the negative stuff, reverse the negative cascade, move from negative interaction patterns to positive interaction patterns like what I talked about to begin with, then, then deal with failures because inevitably somebody's going to mess up. And when that happens, don't think, well, that just proves it. I knew that you were the same old you. I knew you were terrible and awful and all those kinds of things. Uh, even the best of people will sometimes wind up doing stupid stuff again. You sometimes can fall off the wagon. It does not necessarily mean you have abandoned the right path and you're trying to go crazy out there. It just means that sometimes people mess up. Understand this. Even you are imperfect, and you will sometimes fail. So rather than concentrating on, on imperfections or failures as you try reconciliation, concentrate on the progress. Boy, I have to talk about this to people all the time. Well, you know, the other day he said this or he did that. We're not getting anywhere. No, no, I've been watching you for a year. You have come so far. Let's talk about the things that have actually happened in the last year that have developed such a better relationship for you. Don't concentrate on a failure here or an imperfection, imperfection there concentrate on how much progress you've made and take hope from that and keep going and then do everything you can to build up. Avoid devaluing behaviors, increase behaviors that communicate value to the other person, fill each other's most important emotional needs. All right. Well, I hope that in my, well, I talked about that a lot longer than I thought I was going to. I hope that I've given you some valuable principles there that you can use. And of course you can listen to this later uh, about a week, you can hear it on marriageradio.com. After that, you can go to iTunes and subscribe free to Marriage Radio with Joe Beam, and you can listen to it along with many other of these programs there as well. And so if you didn't get everything, you could still go back and hear it again, like I said, for the next week on marriageradio.com. After that, on iTunes, as you go to look for Marriage uh, Radio with Joe Beam. Well, you've been extremely patient, area code 347. I'm so sorry I talked so long. How can I help you do uh, this evening? Are you there? Hello, area code 347. Are you there? All right. I talked a long time. I think probably he or she put the phone down and went someplace else. I am so sorry. I'm going to move on down here then to area, another area. This That's uh, area I see. I don't know what NR said before. This is area code 307. Hello, 307. Are you there? Hello? Now, this is interesting. I'm wondering if we have some kind of a glitch here. Let me try one other number and, and see if I can get this person. Okay, hello, <clears throat> area code 915. Are you there? Yes, Joe. Okay, finally. So this thing is working. How can I help you this evening? Hi. Well, my wife and I attended the workshop in Dallas, mm -hmm. and it was great. And Good. finally, um, we're not at reconciliation yet, but there's a lot of positive signs. Good. But we did our first coaching call with Terry Cheatham, which went really well. Good. I thought. Um, but she doesn't really open up. She hasn't allowed me to be a safe place. But with Terry, mm -hmm. she did. Mm -hmm. However... Something really scared me because she had never said this before. My wife is involved with another woman. Mm -hmm. And for the 
first time she told Terry, well, I really love this woman, and I don't know how I'm going to get away from that. Mm-hmm. And I know that my Terry told her, well, that's pure limerence, and he described it, and all the problems that they're having now are coming to fruition. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. But she said something that really scared me. I want to move towards reconciliation, but she said the sex is so different with a woman. I don't know if I'll ever feel like that with with my husband again. And I don't. And how how does that affect reconciliation? Okay, that's actually a very good question. And I'm I'm so glad that you guys are working with Terry. He's he's just a great man. I I love working with Terry Cheatham. He's just awesome. Now. It's actually a good thing that she opened up. The fact that she opened up more when you guys were talking to Terry than she did just with you indicates that she may still have some fear of being rejected by you. Do you understand that? Yes. Yes, I do. Even okay. though I, I haven't pushed at all, but uh, yeah, that's a good point. Okay. And, and I'm not trying to beat you up with that. I'm, I'm just saying it takes a while for that to happen because you think about it. If she says something to Terry, and Terry rejects her, he's just some guy, okay? But if he, she says something to you and you reject her, you're the man that she's been married to. You're the man that she's lived with these years. She's the, you're the man. In other words, being rejected by you would be extremely more painful than being rejected right. by Terry, right? Which means that it's not unusual at all that a person in that situation would be more open and transparent. So please don't hear that as a negative. It's part of that healing process. And it also probably... Okay. It probably says a lot about the fact that she still wants your affirmation. Now, I'm not saying I know that for sure. I'm just saying probably. Okay, secondly, let's move on to the sex. Would it be different for her having sex with you than having sex with the woman? And the answer is yes, it's it's a different kind of thing. Understand that um, when two women are having sex with each other, unless it's just sex, which in this situation is not the case, you know it's not the right. case because of the fact that she says, I love her, right? So there's right. a strong emotional connection there. Therefore, we're not talking about just two women that meet up in some bar and decide to have sex with each other. We're talking about two people that have emotionally connected. Now, we know that women tend to emotionally connect differently than men do. What I mean by that is that women tend to be more emotional than men to begin with. Now, some guys are more emotional than women. I'm not saying that they're not, but but men tend not to become as emotionally enmeshed as women do. Think about it this way. You can, you can see two women, and I'm talking about women now who are in relationship with each other, like we're talking about with your wife, but just two women who, who will see each other and just hug and kiss each other on the cheeks and cry together, and we don't think anything negative about that because, well, that's the way that women sometimes communicate with each other. Yet, if you see two guys do that, where they grab each other and each other and hug each other, now, unless they're from a part of the population where that's more common, and, and that is common culturally, more common in some cultures than in others. But we look at that and go, hmm, that's not typically how guys do things. All I mean by that is that women tend to feel different emotions when they connect than men do. Does that mean then that sex with you will never be fulfilling again? And the answer is no. Will it be different? Well, yes, it will, but not just different in the sense that you have equipment that the other woman doesn't have. It's going to be different in the sense that the emotional connection with you, a connect, emotional connection between a man and a woman is different than emotional connection between a woman and a woman or than a man and a man. 
And I would understand then her concern like, wow, I have found so much emotional fulfillment in this. I don't know how I'm going to do if, if I don't have that. I mean, when I'm back with you, it's not going to be the same kind of connection. If it were I, you know, if I were the husband and she were telling me that, my wife were telling me that, I'd say, I, get, I think you're right. I think it is going to be different. And I understand that you will miss some of the dimensions of that. But really, I think what you're really focusing on here is that strong emotional connection you have with her. Now, the strong emotional connection that we can develop beyond anything we've ever had before is going to be so wonderful and so good that while it's not going to be the same exactly, it's going to be very fulfilling and very meaningful. I realize it's not going to be the same because I'm not a female, but, but I'm convinced that developing a relationship we can develop now, not because of your affair, but because of what we have both been learning about ourselves and what we're learning about life and what we're learning about love, that the deep emotional connection we can have in the future, it's not going to be one you're going to compare with hers because it's going to be satisfying and fulfilling to you. And that's what you're going to focus on. And so I would not try to convince her, hey, it's going to be better with me. I would not try to convince her you'll get over her. I'd just be saying, I get it. I understand what you feel. But I'm convinced that what we're going to develop together is going to be so wonderful that, that you'll move past that and you'll be very satisfied and very fulfilled with me. So tell me back what you're hearing because I want to make sure if I'm communicating well or not, okay? You are. You, that, that's a great, that was a great response. I just I think the fear of when we left the workshop in late or early February, the one in Dallas, mm-hmm. right? she was convinced. She said, you know what? I, I am going to end this relationship. I realized the 10, 10, 10, that this is, you're the best option for me. She did the decision point and said, mm-hmm. you know what? This, I need to do this. I just, I need to find the strength to do it. Well, that's been the problem since we've gotten back. She's never found the strength and she went right back into it. Right. So it was never, before we left, it was never, well, I think I'm completely lesbian. It's, it was, well, I'm messing up, and I'm afraid she may use this as an excuse to say, like, well, this is what I need to say to end this with my husband. But I think maybe that's just me because she gives me a lot of hope in other ways that, you know, like, she'll right. tell me I'm – I, I can't wait for us to be a family again, or we have good communication. Right. We talk and, mm-hmm. and they have a lot of problems right now. And she'll tell me we we're having a lot of problems. Good. I'm, I'm glad they are. So Maybe you know, deliverance is ending. It, it, it sounds like it may be. And if so, that's a good thing. I'm happy for you about that. Um, let, let's talk about something about, since you brought up same gender and you know, she might come up and say something like, well, I'm lesbian or whatever. Understand that, that in the sexological world, I think you may remember that by my, my, my PhD education, I studied a lot about sexuality and, and therefore am a Christian sexologist, if you will. A sexologist is a person who teaches about sex. So let me just explain something about same gender relationships. Sometimes we okay. talk about people who are heterosexual and people who are homosexual. And then in the middle, we have what we call bisexual, right? Actually, there okay. are more gradations than that. So, for example, we'd, we'd actually go on a scale of something like this. We'd say, okay, one is you're exclusively heterosexual. Two is that you're mostly heterosexual. Three is that you're more heterosexual than homosexual. Four, you're bisexual. It's 50-50. Five, you're more homosexual than, than heterosexual. Six, you're mostly 
homosexual. Number seven, you're exclusively homosexual. So understand that we're at a seven-point scale there. And the fact that, that a woman, like your wife, is involved with another woman emotionally and that that leads to a sexual encounter, a sexual involvement with a person, does not mean that, that she is a number seven lesbian, if you will. Okay? Right. It just means that she had an emotional connection that was strong enough that it led to a sexual encounter. And so she may be right in the middle of that, which is called a four. So if I were classifying her, and of course I'm not, I'm not, you know, in research, we try to classify things like this. I would not classify her as a lesbian. I'd classify right. her as a, as a woman who has been very happy in the past in heterosexual relationships. That is in a deep emotional connection with another person that has turned sexual. I don't see that as lesbian at all. And as you point out, the fact that that one is having some difficulties now is really a good thing because it's moving her back in a different direction. So I'm glad she opened up with Terry. I'm glad you guys are having these kind of communications. It's not unusual that a person at the workshop will make a commitment. I'm going to do the right thing. Then when they go home and they get involved around that other person again, then they for a while. So sometimes the reconciliation process, when it comes to when limerence is involved, can be three steps forward and two steps back. And I know that's frustrating for you. But the good news is, the really good news is, that at least you're gaining a step every so often. Three steps forward, two steps back, at least you're gaining a step every so often. And so I would encourage you, my friend, to keep talking to Terry. That's good. And to focus on the progress and not worry too much about the other part right now. Okay? Right. I will. Okay. My heart's with you, my friend. Thank you, Joe. I had a great time, and thank you for all that your organization does. You have no idea how much you've helped me. I don't think I could have gotten to this part, this point, I'm sorry, if had I not gone to the workshop and had it not been for your podcast and things and my marriage and my wife, they're worth it. And I thank you for all that you do. Well, that, that touches me very deeply. I, I am privileged to work with the best team on the planet. I mean, from our, our executive director, Kimberly Holmes, who leads us magnificently all the way down through uh, the people who are our support staff, and involving all kinds of great people like Terry Cheatham, uh, his wife, Carice, who does things with us. I mean, we just, I could name the whole team, but it's my privilege to work <laughs> with the awesome people I work with, what I'm trying to tell you. Okay? Yes, sir. All right. You, you well, hang yeah, in there. You have a good okay? I will. I will. I <laughs> all will. right. God be She's with worth you. worth it. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, she is, without a doubt. Okay, we're going to area code 319. Hello, 319. You're on the Joe Beam Show. Hi, Joe. This is Tammy um, in Iowa. How are you? Um, it's nice to talk to you again. Good. I'm good. How are you? Rocking and bopping. <laughs> um, well, the last time we had spoke, um, I had told you that I had um, given my husband um, the uh, letter from James Dobson's book, Love Must Be Tough. Mm-hmm. And, and um, he had been out of the house. He's been out of the house now since July of 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, he is in an affair. Um, I don't know if that started, uh, before or after he left. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, I know when he left that he was talking, um, um, about porn and, uh, mm-hmm. blaming on that. And so I kind of thought that was it. And I thought that depression was the problem. And I, I just had no idea. Um, just knew that he was pulling away. Um, at this point now, um, he, he had um 
he's uh, stopped um, giving us um, financial support. Um, I'm a mm-hmm. stay-at-home mom, and I've, I've been a stay-at-home mom for 18 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, he has significantly decreased and at some point stopped um, financial stuff. So I had to file for temporary uh-huh. orders. Right. And um, – and also one of the things I did was I got a subpoena for his finances, for his banking. And the reason I did this is because he makes so much money and he's given me about a sixth of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got that information back. And so my question is about the money. What, um, what I found out was that where he was spending his money was um, a lot of alcohol. He was going to taverns, um, restaurants with taverns. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he was going to casinos and different places like that. Um, mm-hmm. Constant spending. Um, he was also um, he had gotten an OWI, so he had to take care of that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the majority of the money is being spent on. Um, Basically, prodigal living. A lot of a lot of money spent. Um, it yeah. looks like at at um, alcohol and gambling. Right. And so, so and, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So how how can I help thank you? Thank you. So my question is is um, do I talk to him about this? We're, right now, we're kind of starting the divorce process, and we're supposed to have a meeting possibly for mediation at some point. Um, the question is is do I bring this um, up, this money issue up? Um, because he's lying, too. He's saying, I don't have the money to pay for you. I don't have the money to – I only can give you $400 um, this week, but yet his finances showed me that he had $2,000 in the bank and spent and, and went to a casino. Right. Um, now, I'm assuming, based on the fact so, that you had to file for a temporary support, that you have an attorney. Is that correct? I do, Yeah. I got an okay. attorney, mm-hmm. and she's working uh, pretty good for me, but I've let her mm-hmm. know that I don't want a divorce, and I let her know exactly mm-hmm. what you say. I want to be hard on him, but right. I, you know, I don't want a divorce. Okay, and is she going so, along with that? She is, but I feel like she's kind of pushing things, and I feel like, too, she's talking to his lawyer um, a lot more than I'd like her to. Like, right now, mm-hmm. I, I don't want my kids. I have three girls, and I don't want them um, – going to overnights or spending time with him um, Mm -hmm. uh, alone. I don't think he's safe. He's not emotionally stable. Um, But I, and I think she understands it, but I, uh, I'm not sure. Okay. Well, make sure that your attorney is doing what you want her to do. I mean, you know, you're paying her. She works for you. I hope that she's very good at what she does. It's not unusual for the two attorneys to talk. I mean, that's pretty common. And, okay. and often the, ways, the reason they'll do that is because sometimes they can convince their respective clients to do things where you don't have to wind up fighting it out in court forever, that kind of thing. So sometimes attorneys just try to work out deals with each other that actually is in your benefit, believe it or not. Now, I think that if you are having conversations with him and he's lying to you, at this point, I don't see any downside for you to bring that up. Now, like we always talk about, if you do it in a condemning, accusing, attacking way, then probably what's mm-hmm. going to happen is he's just going to get defensive. But if, on the other hand, you say something like, I know that, uh, you know, you said you could only give me $400, but I also know from the records we've gotten that you're spending thousands of dollars here and doing that and that you have money, 
And and I, uh, I'm sorry if this comes across in a way that makes me sound bad, but we need enough money for what we need, and that's for me and for the children. And I'm just letting you know that I know these other things and that I have instructed my attorney that, that she's going to do whatever she needs to do to make sure that we get what we have. Now, if he complains, if he argues back, you can always say, you know, I'd much rather we spend this money on fixing this marriage, but as long as you continue to do what you're doing, I'm going to have to do what I need to do for me. Now, if you want to help, you know, if you want to work on a marriage and do the right things, we'll do that too. But as long as you continue to follow this path, I will have to make decisions that are good for me and for the kids. If you do it calmly and gently and kindly. So yeah, in my opinion, and again, I'm not an attorney, so you always have to ask your attorney's advice, but that's what I would be doing. I'd be having that conversation. I wouldn't be attacking and mean and bitter, but I don't think you are. I think Uh that your spirit sounds awfully sweet to me. Thank you. Um, What about his, um, what about dealing with his um, affair partner? Um, What, um, I, I think that person is also pulling him to spend a lot of money oh. and also pulling him away from his kid, like not letting him come see them not, or visit them and that right. kind of thing. That would not how be do, unusual do, at all. Okay. How do you so, deal with that? Again, yeah. you can't really make him be there for the kids. Yeah. I wish you could. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we know that statistically speaking, one-fourth of fathers – once they're a year into the, uh, the separation and or divorce, one-fourth of the fathers have little to nothing to do with their kids, which just breaks my heart. But often it's because of the fact that they're involved with another person, and that person, you would understand that from her standpoint, his being involved with the kids ties him back to you. And so therefore, yeah. you know, her trying to pull him away from the kids and away from you and getting him to go spend all this money in his wild and riotous living, I mean, that's, from her standpoint, that's to her advantage because it's making it aware that he can't and won't be with you. The good news is mm-hmm. that when finally the limerence begins to fade, hopefully he'll start coming to his senses about those things like, wow, you know what all you've done to me? <laughs> now, he's not yeah. thinking that way now because of what's called mm-hmm. the, uh, the halo effect. I'm so sorry mm-hmm. she's doing that to him. I'm so sorry he's doing that to you. But mm-hmm. I, I say, my, my friend, stand strong do that tough love be tough get your attorney to fight for you and uh, in some states and i don't know what happens up there where you live but in some states you can actually make it where that uh, the judge will agree that the kids are not allowed to be around the other person and if that's Hmm. allowed if that's the way your state works i'd go for that too like Mm -hmm. you know my kids aren't going to be around her but that's that's your decision Mm -hmm. not mine it's Mm -hmm. i mean (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. your life but Mm -hmm. i think i I think before you I think before you called, you already knew what you needed to do, didn't you? I'm sorry, what was that? I said, I think even before you called, in your heart, you knew what you needed to do. Is that right? Well, I I, I kind of felt like I wanted to, to, to do it. I just wasn't sure if it was the right thing at the right time. Like, I understand. And that's what know. I'm trying to say. I'm trying yeah. to say that inside of you, you knew this was the right thing to do. You were just looking for a little affirmation, like, am I thinking right? If, if that's yeah. the way I'm reading this. And if I'm right, if, is that what it is you're saying? I think I already knew, but I just wanted some affirmation to make sure I was going the right path. Is, or am I just missing well, that amount? I guess so. I, I guess so. I mean, I, I sometimes questioning a lot um, because other people, some people are telling me what you need to do right now is to stop worrying oh, yeah. about Keith and you need to worry about getting you girls financially set and stop worrying about helping Keith, you know. 
and worry about him. Yeah. You know? I understand. There's a lot of people with a lot of advice. <laughs> okay. A lot of people with a lot of advice. You, you mm-hmm. do what in your heart, you know, is the right thing to do, but it sounds okay. to me like you're on the right path and I'm, I'm affirming you. I'm, I'm telling you that I think your heart is going the right direction. You're doing the right things. I hope he comes out of this. I really do. I hope and pray that you put your marriage back together. But I'm also very much affirming you that in the meantime, doing what you need to do to protect you and the children and to have those direct but gentle conversations with him, I, I think it's the right way to go. That's my opinion. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm not telling you what to do because I don't have to live your life. But yeah. it sounds to me like that's the best thing. It's your decision, obviously. Okay. I know you guys have the, um, you've talked about the one-on-one coaching before. How mm-hmm. does that work with you? Okay, we have a marriage coach. His name is Terry Cheatham. Terry has a master's degree in psychology. He uh, works with us as our certified marriage coach. Now, he doesn't do counseling for us. He does coaching for us. That's because of the fact that mm-hmm. he deals with a lot of people across state lines, and we just want to make sure we don't violate any laws anywhere. So, therefore, he's a coach, not a counselor. Are you following what I'm saying? <laughs> we yeah. want to make sure we mm-hmm. meet all the legal gotcha. criteria. Mm-hmm. If, if you call our number, okay. which is if, uh, if you've got, I got a pen, I'll give you the number. The number is mm-hmm. okay. 615-472-1161. That's 615-472-1161. That'll get you with Johnny. Johnny does all of our booking for everything. And you just call Johnny and say, I'm interested in doing some marriage coaching with Terry. Now, here's how it works. He, he works either with an individual such as you or with a couple like the guy I just talked to before you. And uh, you can either book an hour with him or you can book a five-hour block. Now, if you book a five-hour block, you don't do the whole five hours at the same time. Don't misunderstand. It's just that that makes it more Mm -hmm. economical for you. And, you know, it's a much better price that way. And then you just keep up with your time as you go along. I'm getting a lot of really good feedback from people who are working with Terry. He does it by phone or by Skype or by FaceTime. And, And right now he's working with, 35 couples. So he's pretty much full at the moment, but, okay. but I think, I think you would find great value in working with him and because you get a lot more time and interaction than just talking to me here, but that's the way you do that. Mm-hmm. And we, okay. we, we price okay. him at a really good price point for people. And we give okay. all, you know, we don't make any, we don't make any money off that. Okay. It's a break even thing <laughs> for us. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. And, well, thank you so much for your time. I'll, okay. I will you take uh, care. let you go so you can go on to the next call. All right. Thank you. Have a good evening. Okay. Thank you, Joe. All right. I'm going to go back and try this one. I tried it earlier. And area code 347, are you there now? Hello, yes. 347. Yes. yes. I tried to talk to you a little while ago, and I couldn't find you. So how can I help you this evening? Hi. Uh, my name is Sal. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been having some... Uh, some serious issues with my wife. Um, she wants a divorce. Mm-hmm. And uh, I try many, many things to try to get her to stop and change. But nothing mm-hmm. I've done has stopped. In fact, she uh, texted me today and she asked me if I contacted her attorney. Mm-hmm. I won't contact her attorney because I feel by contacting her attorney, that I am uh, participating in the destruction and, the, uh, you know, destroying my marriage and my mm-hmm. family. So mm-hmm. my question is, uh, Dr. Bean, how do I 
reconcile with my wife. Okay, that's, you know, unfortunately, there's not a real short answer to that. Has she filed any kind of legal motions yet? No, not yet. But she said, if I don't contact our attorney this coming Friday, um, the attorney is going to file for something for a divorce or something like that. Okay. Well, let me, let me just start with that, if I may. If, if indeed her attorney files, I would strongly suggest, my friend, that you get an attorney to represent you. Not, not you talking to her attorney, but you get an attorney to represent you. Because if you, if you use her attorney, she is his client, and he's going to work all from her standpoint. Now, the value or advantage of you having your own attorney, in addition to just protecting yourself legally from whatever that other attorney might want to do, the other advantage is that you can actually tell your attorney, look, I, I really don't want this divorce. I want to slow this thing down. I want to find a way to work things out with my wife. And, and what I need you to do is to protect me legally, but at the same time, slow this process down as much as possible. Make it tough for her to finish through with, follow through with this as much as you can. Understanding Mr. Attorney or Miss Attorney that I don't want the divorce. I actually want to save the marriage, but at the same time, I need you to represent me and take care of me. Now, a lot more goes into it after that. For example, you know, why she wants a divorce, how long you've been married, uh, what you've been doing, what she's been doing. Unfortunately, in the few minutes I have left, we can't really thoroughly get into that. Have, have you talked to uh, any kind of a marriage counselor or therapist about this, the two of you together, by any chance? She won't. Okay. And, and briefly, in, in a very, very brief form, can you tell me why she wants a divorce? She won't talk to me. I, I, Dr. Beam, I know um, during, we were married now for 16 and a half years. We have three children together. Okay. Michael is 15, Nicholas is 12, and Jennifer is 8. It's absolutely okay. destroying me to um, not work this out. She was very, very, very much in love with me. And um, I know I, I did mistreat her by, mm-hmm. phys- by not physically abusing her, but by uh, verbally abusing her, but not all the time. But when I got angry, my my anger did get the best of me. And I've been going to counseling for myself, and uh, the counseling says you made a remarkable improvement over the last, I would say, two years. I haven't cussed at her, haven't raised mm-hmm. my voice. Good. I am trying so many things. I even wanted to come to uh, marriage council nine one one, but she won't come. She will. She refuses. Okay. Well, I'm, and I'm I don't so understand. Sorry. She won't talk to me. She will not talk to me. Right. Why? Well, my, my heart she breaks for you, my try. friend. By any chance, have you been to our website, marriagehelper.com? Every day. I even okay. told, I even spoke to uh, uh, Mr. Cardwell and. Um, okay. Uh, okay. So you read. You read. The, You've read the articles in our website and those kinds of things. By any chance, have you been part of our Save My Marriage online course? By any chance? No, I'm seriously um, thinking about the. Ten- Are you talking about the ten week course? Yeah, the ten week course. No. Well, and forgive me that this sounds like a commercial. It's just that I, you know, it's so much to talk about, and I've got only a couple of minutes left. What I recommend you look into, if you just go to marriagehelper.com/slash. Save my marriage, just one word, save my marriage. At least it'll tell you about the 10-week course there. We're about to start a new group very quickly. 
And in addition to watching all those videos, which kind of go through step-by-step of do this, do that, we additionally, every Thursday night, we do a coaching call so that that actually, you know, you can be part of a coaching call every Thursday night for 10 weeks where you can send in questions and things like that. Now, it, it, it will tell you a lot of the things that I wish I had time to tell you here, but obviously I can't replicate 10 weeks worth of material in the next two I minutes. Understand. But I understand. If, and and I, I hate to sound like a commercial. I really do. I don't want to sound like a commercial. But that, I would, if you don't mind, even tonight, marriagehelper.com slash save my marriage, all one word, just look into that and see if you think that might be of value to you. I, I hear your heart. I hear your pain. I am so sorry. Thank you for the fact that you have um, been getting the help for that stuff. Good for you, man. That's a step in the right direction. And I know you love your kids and you love your wife. And, and you say she at one point was madly in love with you. I hope and pray that that happens again. And if we can possibly be part of that, I'd, I'd love to do that. If, if somebody else, then whomever you can get, but I truly work this. I truly hope this works out for you. I really do. I'm so sorry that I'm oh, out of time. That's um, okay. I understand. If, if you'll look into that, if, I'll just leave it with that. Look into that if you will, please. Okay. Once again, before you go, what is it? It's okay. If you go to our website, marriagehelper.com. Okay. Marriagehelper.com. All right. Then slash and all one word, save my marriage, all one word. And that should bring up. I'm sorry. Marriagehelper.com. Dot com. Dot com forward. Okay. Forward slash save my marriage, all one word. One word. Got it. Save my marriage. Got it. I'm going to do it right now. Yes, sir. All right, my friend. I, I hope and pray things work out for you. I really do. All right, I got to go. I'm sorry. I've gone a little over time tonight. Thank you for being part of our program. We are here every Tuesday night. And if you want a particular topic talked about, you send it to askjoe at marriagehelper.com. That's A-S-K-J-O-E at marriagehelper. Like marriagehelper, marriagehelper.com. And give us the topics that you want us to talk about. Thank you very much. And have a good evening.